Welcome to the Seeing Red Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Seeing Red Podcast. My name is Troy Moriello and I am your host bringing you up to date and up to speed on all things St. John's basketball. And we have a special edition of the podcast coming for you today. It is the 2020-2021 Season Review Podcast with Brendan Myers and Kevin Connolly, two guys who have come on this show many times over the past three years. Uh, two former WSJU alumni uh, know each other well. It's a lot of fun. We're going to touch on everything that happened in this season, the highs, the lows, the drama. We're going to talk about players, coaching staff, um, and what this team needs to do to take that next step next season. We're going to look ahead to next season, look at the transfer market as well. We're going to touch on it all. So sit back and enjoy the next hour or so of St. John's Basketball Talk. And I will be back on the other end to wrap this show up. Hope everyone enjoys. All right, we have our first ever three-way interview on this podcast. And we have done it with, I think, two of the uh, original members. They're not original members, but two of our, our better members. It's Brendan Myers and Kevin Connolly. Brendan, I'll start with you. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm good. You know, we were laughing before this should be, it should be a fun episode, but before we start, I would like to say that I was the one that gave Troy Kevin's phone number, so so any success Kevin has on the show, I, I do take some, some credit for it, so you're welcome, everybody. That's true. Okay, Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, I'm ready to get into this. This is going to be a fun episode. I can guarantee that right off the, right off the jump. Definitely, definitely. And you two obviously have a little bit of history uh, to uh, WSJU alumni, so I'm sure we will uh, be kind of uh, renewing some old memories, I guess, for you two, correct? Yeah, I don't know if they're good. Are they good memories? Or bad? <laughs> I think... Well, right now, I'm pissed at Kevin for sure because Kevin's spewing lies about me on Twitter that, that need to be addressed. So so I, I don't think Kevin and I are in a good place right now. All right. Well, we'll, we'll try to work on that throughout this episode, I guess. Um, we'll start, though, with just some, some general thoughts on the season. I'll, I'll let you guys go first as the as the guests. Uh, general thoughts on the, the 2020-21 season. I would have to imagine that they're, you know, positive, even though it ended, I guess you could say, a little bit earlier than we would have thought but Kevin I'll let you go first your uh, your general take on on 2020 2021 for this team so I thought it was a positive year in terms it took a step in the right direction but I think the disappointment has to be there considering your three losses on the road to Georgetown Butler and then at home to DePaul kept you out of the NCAA tournament all three games where they should have won a two of them on the road where they had leads and the one at home to DePaul. So it was a step in the right direction, but it's disappointing because those three games kept them out of the round of 68. Definitely, definitely. Brendan, your thoughts? I, I think that, you know, in retrospect, we didn't know it at the time, but the first game of the season against St. Peter's was kind of a, a good representation for what was about to come because, you know, St. John's, you know, looked like they were going to lose that game at home and then all of a sudden out of nowhere – Posh Alexander comes up with the steal in the, in the, on the lob pass over the top. You know, come down, Vince Cole hits the three, but, you know, to avoid what could have been a disaster. And and that's kind of the way the Big East uh, conference play started for them, you know, getting off to that slow start, that, that win streak that put them right back into contention and helped get them the four seed, you know, and unfortunately, whereas the St. Peter's game ended with the Cole game winning three, St. John's was unable to get it done against Seton Hall. In, in the first round of the Big East tournament, and that just goes back and to piggyback off what Kevin said, you know, th- that's frustrating because there were so many winnable games that this team did wasn't able to come up with the, the W four, which which eventually hurt them. So you know, there's definitely things that that they're going to be kicking themselves with because the the tournament was honestly a possibility for them. Yeah. A couple of results if they you know were able to pull a couple of more games out that they should have won mm-hmm. but I, I don't know how you could say that this wasn't overall uh, a step forward because look at who you lost going into the year with with Heron to graduation figure out they just had a great game with with Oregon in mm-hmm. the round of 32 so you know St. John's guys might be bitter about that but you know happy for LJ absolutely you know, yeah. getting his time in the tournament so you know expectations probably weren't that high because um, you lost two 
two, we'll say, emotional leaders to the yeah. team. But, mm-hmm. but, you know, they pulled it together nicely. You know, you had some, some good building points with guys who were going to be back, you know, a couple of departures and stuff. But, I mean, you know, it, it starts and stops with Champagny and, and Pache Alexander. You know, those two were the guys the whole season. So, you know, definitely reason to be optimistic. Yeah, and I, I think as a, as a fan, you kind of have to walk – you know, a fine line, I guess, between obviously you guys, you know, noted on this was a really nice season in terms of some of the wins that they picked up, kind of unexpected given what they had lost, you know, in Heron and Figueroa and and the expectations going into the year. Yet you do kind of feel like, man, you know, if they would have taken care of business against Georgetown, DePaul, Butler, you know, even just two of those games or one of those games, maybe it's a different story right now. And then watching the NCAA tournament this weekend, man, you know, Oregon State is is, is a team you know you know UCLA is an 11 seed right now playing like these teams can make runs and you know you kind of feel like maybe you left a little bit on the table I guess which is kind of a, a weird spot to walk as a fan or a weird line to walk as a fan you know I thought the one thing that it just was interesting on selection Sunday um, obviously you had the two bit stealers with Georgetown and Oregon State but the more I thought about it I think St. John's had to win the Big East tournament to get in Mm-hmm. Because so you had Georgetown and Oregon State, so take just leave Oregon State and take Georgetown out. Louisville's your next team in. I mean, how close was St. John's to, to those other teams? I think uh, they probably they might have needed to win it all. I didn't think so going in, mm-hmm. but I, I, just looking at the teams and how uh, those first four out eventually were, uh, I think they actually might have had to win the Big East tournament ticket. No, I, I definitely agree with that, Kevin. Especially because the way. The, the way their side of the bracket ultimately unfolded with, you know, if you want to say Georgetown beating Villanova or even if Villanova eked out that victory, uh, then you're talking about that second win against Villanova being without Colin Gillespie. And a lot of people were really down on Villanova. Kevin, I agreed with you that people were way too quick to, to count them out now mm-hmm. now they're in the Sweet 16. But, you know, the committee might not, that might not have been enough. So I'm definitely with you that they needed to win the Big East tournament and you know, it was it was unfortunate that, that the game against Seton Hall. You know, I think winning games in overtime is definitely a place where this team there's a ton of room for improvement. Zero and three in overtime games mm-hmm. for the season, and you know, it, what what was so frustrating was those some of the games that they lost. They were in complete control of, and it, I mean, complete control might be a little bit of an overstatement for the Seton Hall game. Yeah, but there were there were times late in that second half where you know. It, it was theirs to lose, and you know they found a way to to lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Seton Hall didn't play a good game. No. no, and and Seton Hall didn't play a good game against Georgetown, and Georgetown didn't play a good game against Seton Hall. <laughs> I mean, St. John's St. John's picked a really bad day to have an off game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what makes it even more frustrating. But I, I will say this: I've been you know watching this team since. I got into them really around 2011 when they made that tournament run uh, when I was still in high school. And since then, I really can't remember, you know, going into an offseason or at the end of a season feeling like, you know, this team got absolutely everything that they could have, you know, or this coaching staff got absolutely everything that they could have out of this team, which like I can't remember in the decade that I've been watching this team now that that's happened. And I would imagine the decade before that as well. You know, I like I don't know what else outside of actually making the tournament they really could have done to make this into, I guess you could say, overachieve even more this season. Like even the last tournament appearance, that team underachieved for sure. So that's kind of an interesting, you know, point to 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 realize i guess when you're when you're kind of dissecting this year you know yeah i think though obviously that team that made the tournament that was that was a really disappointing season yeah Uh, i I think john rothstein said that they were the most talented roster in the big east (laughs) i mean i don't know if i'd go that far but they were certainly top three roster Mm -hmm. and and to to lose in the first four like that was, was disappointing last year i thought they, I mean, the, the Big East record doesn't show it, but yeah. they start overachieving towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. You were hoping that maybe they could find a way into the NIT. But this year, yeah, they overachieved, but I still understand, um, like, fans on Twitter's disappointments, like, where that they should have done more. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I don't, like, don't be disappointed that they're not in the NIT this year because that's a completely different story. Like, they would have been in the NIT, it would have been a one or a two. NIT. Mm-hmm. I don't know if fans want to hear it, but like, look at the teams in the NIT right now. I mean, some of them are sub 500 just because 
No one wants to put their players through another bubble situation going down to Texas, which is 100% open or whatever, Hmm. and really paying attention. No one's getting the media coverage in the NIT as they normally do. So, like, yeah, you could be upset that their their season ended against Seton Hall and there was no postseason, but there would have been. And I don't know if you can hang your hat on that, but it's something at least to look positively on. Yeah, I think... I think you have to kind of look at it through two different lenses, and it's not making excuses. It's not it's not playing the moral victories game, but but the team that played in the first four and lost to Arizona State that was supposed to be the culmination of the Molinari. He finally, yes. you know, had a roster full of his guys, so much talent, and they limped into the postseason. You know, they they got off to the twelve and zero start, mm-hmm. definitely a product of the non conference schedule. But then, you know, yet they're crushing the feet to Seat Hall at, at the Prudential Center with the Shavar Reynolds game-winning shot to kind of ruin the undefeated season. And I think that took a lot out of that team. They kind of went into a tailspin. They, again, still didn't have a true big man. So, you know, they got dominated by teams like DePaul and Providence that season, Xavier, that were so much bigger. I, You know, not that nobody had any expectations for the St. John's team, but, you know, losing the two guys that we had talked about before, Mike Anderson's second year, still trying to, you know, the team's best player, who ended up being the best player still only a sophomore yeah. and Julian Champagny and the second best player is a true freshman so you know it was tough tough to see what this team was going to do in the preseason but the fact that they you know got so close to the tournament it's definitely a tough one to swallow because they threw it away a little bit in the end and let and squandered it but I guess you know I would ask you guys that question what would you rather a team that limped into the postseason and probably wasn't going to do anything a lot of you know wasted talent or would you rather a season like this in a coach's second year where they got close and disappointing end, but a lot to build on? Yeah, no, exactly. It's 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 this season for sure, because like you said, you have that stuff to build on and you have, you know, the hope that next year will then be the culmination that you would hope for, that you would hope kind of 2019 would be. Uh, Kevin, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, just one thing to add that we didn't talk about just in, in that Seton Hall game in the Big East tournament. Mm. I mean, Ash Alexander might have been at 50 percent yeah right i mm-hmm. mean he was no i mean he had the one play where i think he absolutely stole shavar for reynolds and went for a dunk or a layup or whatever but mm-hmm. other than that, i mean he was really ineffective and i mean mike anderson hasn't addressed the media since the uh, conclusion of this or whatever but i mean i'll be interested to find out one of his media availabilities if he has one over the summer uh or or at the start of next year or media day or something like that I mean, what was how bad was Pasha's thumb? Because I mean, he ended up getting surgery two days later on. Yeah. They, they said it was a sprained thumb, but I mean, I know most thumb injuries don't. Most sprained thumbs don't yeah. require. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we can we can shift gears a little bit now. Let's let's talk. Let's talk best win of this season first. Uh, a couple of contenders for sure. I'll let you guys go first. Uh, Brendan, why don't you go first? Your your best win of the 2020-21 season. Right, I'm going to go 1A, 1B here. Because okay. the, the obvious choice is Villanova at home. You know, yeah, dominated, definitely. Dominated a, a, a top 10 team pretty much from start to finish. Uh, you know, Villanova missed a lot of open threes in the first half. But nonetheless, St. John's capitalized. And, and you, you know, a lot of it was because they disturbed... Uh, Villanova's rhythm. I don't think Colin Gillespie has had a game like that in his career. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, you know, <laughs> brutal ending, you know, really, really tough for him. You hate to see great players get hurt like that. You hate to see anybody get hurt. Yeah. But my 1B, and and Kevin's going to make fun of me, <laughs> I, I'm actually going to go with Providence on the road. Yeah. I, I couldn't, like, I, I'm going to make my decision off what you guys say, but that was one of my choices. I, I couldn't agree with you more. That was a fantastic one. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Providence on the road, you get they get off to that red hot start and they're dominating. Providence looks like they're going to run him out of the gym. All of a sudden, you know Ed Cooley and the Providence offense unleashes Nate Watson, who's, who St. John's had absolutely no answer for. I mean, he had the easiest thirty point game I've ever seen in college. <laughs> it was just you know two power dribbles up, kind of kind of baby hook shot off the glass, easy two. So you know I haven't been following St. John's for as long as you, Troy. Um, you know, but. You know, obviously, since I was a senior in high school, so any St. John's team that I've watched, they lose that game yep. by about 10, 10 to fifteen points because mm-hmm. they they took an absolute gut punch mm-hmm. from Providence after such a red hot start to blow that kind of a lead. But they kept their composure, they kept going, they didn't panic, and that was a big difference. And you know, we're talking about what what St. John's can do moving forward. That's what good teams do. You look at Gonzaga; 
just now in the game against Oklahoma, right? What, what do great teams do? Oklahoma had them on the ropes a little bit in the first half. I mm-hmm. think they got up to an eight-point lead. Gonzaga never panicked, mm-hmm. and, and they ended up winning by double digits. Now, I'm not, I'm not uh, saying that St. John's can expect to be Gonzaga next year, but, you know, that's what great teams do. Sounds <laughs> like that's what you're saying. Like, but, you know, great great teams can take a gut punch and, and, and respond, and I thought that showed a lot of mental toughness and, you know, very encouraging for what St. John's can do moving forward. Definitely. Kevin, go ahead. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll again. One A is the win against Villanova. That I don't think there's there's many questions about that. Um, I'll go though as my one B with the win over UConn in stores mm-hmm. uh, because that just seemed to to turn the tide of the season. I mean, they were coming just what a, a day later. So they played that UConn game on a Monday. On that Saturday afternoon, they had the gut wrench yeah. at home. Marquette. They had to respond. Posh was a little banged up. He hurt his back in that Marquette game. Um, I know UConn didn't have uh, book night, but I mean, St. John's didn't have Greg Williams Jr. either because um, he got hurt what, a couple minutes in with his back. Yeah. So I, and, and that win just that just turned the tide of the season. It was ended up it was a ranked win. I think UConn was. 23 24 mm-hmm. something like that uh it was a national tv game the prime the, the, it was on martin luther king day it was mm-hmm. the game of the afternoon um and st john's they got down by what 14 first half yeah uh, big and yeah just crawled their way back in it with defense with timely shots julian champagne didn't have that great of a game either it just gave a lot of the confidence so um i would go 1a villanova and 1b uh, that UConn game. Yeah, Kevin, I think we're on the on the same page because, you know, Villanova, they got off to a great start. And, and it's easy to play well when everything is going your way. You know, they got turnovers, they were in transition. But the games against Providence and the games against UConn really showed what this team was all about and what they're made of because things weren't going well for them for large portions. I mean, mm-hmm. Providence and UConn were a little bit different games in the fact that, as Kevin alluded to, UConn was winning for probably the first, we'd say, 32 minutes of the game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they dominated for, for a long stretch, and then all of a sudden St. John just kept uh, clipping away and clipping away and crawling right back in. You know, almost what St. John's lets teams do to them where they kind of hang around, don't put them away. That's what St. John's was able to do, and they picked their times to get on their runs. That's the beautiful part of, of Mike Anderson's system is that with the press and how intense they play out on the perimeter, things can change really with the snap of a finger, and it showed, and, and they got two big wins. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, two more big wins that I, I'll, I'll throw out there as well. Maybe not the best of the season, but I thought were really important. The last two wins of the season, really, without Posh, you know, after Posh goes down, I, I, in my opinion, I, I thought that the season was going to kind of tailspin at that point. You just lost to DePaul, lost to Villanova, you lose Posh, down by, what, 10 or 11 at the half against Providence. To come back and win that game, you know, fall into the big hole against Seton Hall then and win that game as well, basically outscore them by 30 over the final 30 minutes of those of that game to me like those two wins kind of changed the narrative a little bit of the season I, I guess you could say getting to fourth place in the conference so I, I I mean you know not the best wins of the season per se but but kind of you know turn the tables a little bit further as well right we're all on the same page though that we all are pointing to wins where the team showed mental toughness yeah I think that mm-hmm. that's been an area where the teams lacked in the past is that when the when you know things start to crumble they they folded a little bit and it was it was never a lack of effort issue. It was a panic issue. Mm-hmm. They would start jacking threes early in the shot clock, but this team would just kind of claw away, and they did it with their defense. You know that that's where they would turn the tide of a game was on the defensive end of the court. Definitely, definitely. Well, let's uh, let's turn to you know worst loss of the season. Now there's a few contenders. Uh, Kevin, I'll let you go first with your worst loss. <sighs> I I gotta go to Paul at home. I mean, I just have to. I mean, that was a game that they could they couldn't lose. Like, yeah. so you, you go into a lot of games where they were it's a must win game. Um, I mean, you don't hear the term "can't lose," and that's what I was calling it leading up to that game. Mm-hmm. I, I, it was a can't lose game. You couldn't lose that game, and they ended up losing that game. And and you kind of felt it right off the bat because they were just coming off that win against Xavier to erase the loss um, and overtime to to Butler. Mm-hmm. Uh, you knew the game after that was a trip to Villanova on the rope where, I mean, I mean, you knew Villanova was going to get revenge. There, I, I mean, you're, you're hoping they yeah. could keep somewhat close, but you knew Villanova was going to be out for blood in that game. Yeah. Just couldn't lose to DePaul at home. And that's exactly what they did. Um, a 
again, I don't know if that single game kept them out of the NCAA tournament because it ended up being, what, a quad three loss because DePaul mm-hmm. beat Providence yeah. um, in the Big East tournament. But that, that was just still a game you couldn't lose, and they lost it. So I think that has to be the worst loss. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Brendan, with yours. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree, but in the interest of, of good content, I'll, I'll pick a different game. I'm going to go with, with a game that Kevin actually mentioned, the overtime loss at Butler. Just because, I mean, you're talking about, what, a seven- or eight-game win streak if, if you win that yeah. game mm-hmm. and include the, the win against Xavier uh, right after. So you were red hot. You were They were finally about to exercise the demons at, at Hinkle Field House. You know, they had it in control. Yeah, They were up to a double-digit lead, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Right? I think it got to, like, 16. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then just to, you know, kind of fall apart down the stretch and, and you know, to a certain extent, you know, I just mentioned the beauty of Mike Anderson's system, but this is kind of the curse of it, that it's not meant to close out games. And mm-hmm. it's an area where the team is going to need to improve on half-court offense and throwing the thing down. St. John's plays, and it's no secret, this isn't expert analysis or anything, because I'm an idiot, and I, even <laughs> I see this. St. John's plays a controlled chaos. They want the ball kind of, you know, flying all over, deflections, you know, tip passes, stuff like that. Yeah. They, they want to get teams out of the rhythm when... You know, half court sets, you know, pick and roll stuff like that. That's not really their forte. So when and Butler is a team, uh, I can't remember if Aaron. Tom- I think Aaron Thompson was already out at that point, right? I don't think he played in that game. I think he played in that one. I believe. In which one? The, the overtime loss at Hinkle. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was in that game. Yeah, he played in that one. I think. Either, yeah. either I think way, they went. They were missing somebody in Queens. He played. Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He played. He played in. Uh, right. So either way, Butler and especially with Aaron Thompson plays at such a deliberate pace. They want to go so slow, and, and St. John's was able to speed him up in the in the first half. But mm-hmm. then, kind of, almost when Butler needed to go on the run, and St. John's was trying to close things out, that almost suited Butler more. And and then you know, you can't help but think that the the mental block at Hinkle Fieldhouse, and even though this is a young team and they haven't really experienced you know, a lot of, you know, difficult losses. You can't help but think that that starts to creep in. It's yeah. like, you know, like, you know, we can't win here. We can't win here. So, that you know, we talked about, you know, some of the mental toughness that was showed in, in some of the St. John's wins. But I, I think that one, I think they got it in their own heads a little bit down the stretch of Butler. Then, you know, you had the opportunity in overtime to win it also. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, just fell short. A couple of inbounding mistakes, you know, just silly little things that, that hopefully gets corrected moving forward. One other thing that I remember from that, Butler game as well was Butler obviously was one of the biggest schools to allow fans in the crowd and that crowd was like really loud that night I remember like noticeably loud and I don't know if that had any impact on the the end of the game maybe or during the comeback but there was like an energy in in that arena that night in Hinkle that wasn't really prevalent I don't think in any other game this season I don't know if that had an impact on it at all I mean I know these guys are, are used to playing in front of thousands of fans and stuff but I'm sure you know playing without fans for that long mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some type of adjustment happening yeah. back in you know they only played with uh, th- I think three games with, with fans the entire season mm-hmm. it, you know Hinkle is you know it's a truly special place you know just how, how close even in a socially distant setting how close the fans are mm-hmm. and stuff like that Mm-hmm, definitely. They played. They played games with fans in other buildings, but no, right. cr- no, cl- no crowd was close to the capacity that it was in in Hinkle. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Just look at the crowds at the NCAA tournament now. I know yeah. they're a little bigger than that, but that that's kind of what you're going off of. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's let's stay on a negative note for a, for a second. Um, we have so much you know positive to say about Mike Anderson and I think a lot of the you know positives we've already touched on at some point you know and everyone you know listening to this understands. Let's look at some of the negatives with Mike Anderson. Um, some of the things that he and this staff you know really need to improve on to kind of take that that next step that jump from being a team that's on the bubble to maybe, you know, comfortably in the NCAA tournament. And I know they were a top four team this year, but, you know, a consistent, you know, top three, top four team in the conference. Uh, Kevin, why don't you lead us off with, you know, what what Anderson and this staff can really improve on going into next year? And if they were able to run some better uh, half-court sets, I, I think you would see a lot more success with this team. And that coupled with they need to find more shooters around their stars or at least, 
the people on your roster have to improve shooting wise. I mean, Greg Williams Jr. I couldn't believe it, but towards the end of the year, he was close to like a forty five percent three point, mm-hmm. which was incredible to me. And Julian Champagne, I think he just got off to such a great start shooting the ball. I mean, his numbers were only going to dip as the season went on. Mm-hmm. But you like a, a Dylan Adai Wusu to step up and become a, a great shooter because that spaces the floor and that's how your half court offense becomes better because once you get to the half court and teams don't really have to worry about guarding the outside beyond the arc, then teams are just going to collapse their defense and it makes it that much more difficult for guys like Posh or Julian to try and get to the basket. Mm, absolutely. Brendan, go ahead. Yeah, I'll go with, uh, I have two, you know, kind of, related thing to what Kevin said one not so much but I'm not so much uh, saying that this is what Anderson can do better this is just what I would do with with this current roster Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah Mm mm-hmm because I'm not going to pretend to know more about basketball than (laughs) than a guy who's been coaching practically his whole adult life so I think I would like to see Marcellus Erlington use more in catch and shoot situations because I think you see him uh, you know, a lot of times he'll be the trailer in a transition setting. He'll yeah. catch kind of from from the elbow, or wing three, or corner three. And I, I don't have the exact uh, you know heat map and you know percentages, but it seems that he's a much better shooter from there. Versus a lot of times you'll see him catch the ball at the top of the arc, gotta take a couple of dribbles and you know spin, take a fadeaway jump shot. I don't really think that's his game. I think he could be a really effective catch and shoot player. Mm-hmm. But again, catch and shoot is impacted by your triple penetration. If teams aren't really scared of, you know, say, Posh Alexander getting past them, you know, because Posh really was an inconsistent, spotty three-point shooter yeah. this season. So teams will kind of, you know, play off them a little bit. And when the dribble penetration's not really there, the catch-and-shoot also really is not there because they're, they're, they have a mutual relationship. Mm-hmm. So I, I would like to see this team use the personnel in catch-and-shoot situation more especially with Champagny if if they can effectively utilize him off ball take the ball out of his hands a little bit have defenses converge to into the paint have Champagny I mean from the corner Champagny's almost automatic yeah Mm -hmm. like nine times out of ten he's making that open corner three Mm -hmm. so I would like to see them more effectively utilize catch and shoot especially with Erlington because as Kevin just alluded to you know the more teams have to play out uh, on the three more space everybody has Mm -hmm. the other thing and I, I don't think that we know the full story with Josh Roberts as far as injuries and, and you know, how he's utilized. But I, I can't help but notice that the team seems to be so much better yeah. with him on the floor. Yeah, he's not a, a massive big guy, but he's he's probably the best room protector that they have. Uh, you know, foul trouble obviously plagues him. But, you know, there would be times for sure over the past two seasons when Josh Roberts was not in foul trouble and, you know, he wasn't getting getting uh the amount of minutes that i i felt that he should be deserved deserved because the the team from my observation looked better and more efficient with him mm-hmm. with them on the court and again you don't know if that's injured you don't know what that is yeah. i'm not speculating anything mm-hmm. i just would like to see him really develop because i think you know he is a to quote michael jordan the ceiling is the roof <laughs> so uh you know just so much potential so much athleticism and if he could you know get you know the jump shots obviously probably not gonna no. not gonna get there. Mm-hmm. But if he could, you know, maybe improve the footwork a little bit to where he could get, you know, eat up six to eight points off baby hook shots. Um, just just down low. I would like to see Josh Roberts really step up going into his senior year. I obviously, assuming he stays. Yeah, I mean, no reason to think he does. Yeah, I, I guess he could be a, a transfer candidate just because of the the you know lack of minutes that he played. Yeah. I guess um, with Josh, what interests me at least is like you mentioned, like he doesn't really jump out at you. I, like at least I don't think you know. Like you said, he's a rim protector for sure. But you look at the box score; he's never really doing a whole lot to jump out of the box score. But you know, every single you know efficiency stat or whatever stat you want to look at, Josh Roberts. You know, they're so much better when Josh Roberts is on the floor, which is kind of weird, I guess, to think. But he's obviously doing something right. Um, yeah, so you definitely want to see him come back, and also note on posh alexander and uh brendan i know you did did your research for uh for this so i have a little bit of a a research uh, stat as well maybe not as deep as you uh julian champagne i remember last year as a freshman we we kind of talked about or at least i remember saying man if he can develop a consistent three-point shot you know he could be you know a deadly you know type player you know a real five-tool type player um 
you know, went from 31% to 38 this year from three point shot from uh, three point range. So 31% shooter last year. Posh Alexander, if you round up, was a 30% three point shooter this year. So, I mean, I'm not expecting him to take a jump to where he should, you know, almost a 40% three point shooter next year. But if he can get that percentage up to, you know, 35%, I think we're looking at a, a totally different offensive player in Posh Alexander. And it was just so streaky because he would have games. Yeah. You know, if you if you would look at a four game stretch, he would probably be closer to forty percent. Mm-hmm. And then you would take another four game stretch, and he would probably be down in the low twenty. Yeah. You know, so it was just you know getting it consistently to that 33 percent mark again. He doesn't need to be great. Teams just need to respect that he'll take it, and they're you know a thirty three percent chance that he'll make it. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, I mean, let's run down some more players. Obviously. Um, Let's do Greg first, I, I guess. You know, Greg Greg Williams, guy who shot, what did he end up shooting? 40, 44%, almost 45% from three-point range. Obviously battled injuries, you know, for a, a majority of the season, I guess you could say, with his back. Um, Kevin, you know, going into his senior year, what do you expect out of Greg Williams? I mean, you've seen him per- progressively take small improvement steps each year. But the, the thing is, the consistency has to be there yeah and the big eyes in with the consistency is is his injuries mm-hmm. injuries have really held him back specifically his back which hurt him at the beginning of last season and then it hurt him uh midway through this year mm-hmm. so you, you know the leadership is there it's just being continuing to be aggressive i think sometimes he really defers this mm-hmm. uh, to to Champagne or Alexander, um, but he, he needs to keep keep his foot on the gas for the full forty minutes, uh, and then it, it's with that consistency building, and you hope um, he'll able to he'll be able to avoid some injuries because that's really was what the biggest thing that's hurt him. Yeah, uh, in, in these last year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brennan, go ahead with yours. I mean, assuming that Greg, Marcellus, and Josh all stay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think is reasonable at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no disagreements about that. I would that. think so, yeah. I think Mike Anderson sh- should sit down and have a chat with those three and say, this is your team now. Yeah. You know, as, as great as Julian Champagny is, uh, you know, th- they're the seniors on the team. And, you know, Greg, I just said it about Josh. Greg is another ceiling is the roof guy. Mm-hmm. You, you see, Greg's first step uh, on a dribble drive is, is so quick. And when he's aggressive, they're... I've seen very few defenders in the Big East that can stop. Mm-hmm. And you would like to see him do that more consistently. Kevin said the injuries have kind of kind of hurt him a lot, not kind of hurt him. So you would just like, you know, and it's a confidence thing and it's a rhythm thing. You know, Kevin was on the call, did a great job with the Creighton game two years ago when, when Greg couldn't miss. Mm-hmm. And and that that wasn't a fluke in my opinion. That That's what he could do. Maybe not have you know 25, 26 points a night, but it could definitely be a double-digit score consistently for the team, and that's what they're going to need. Because right now, if you look at the scoring splits, right for the mm-hmm. team this past season, you have Julian at just about 20, 20 a game, and then Posh at eleven. Right, you you need a guy that's going to be 15, 16 points to help balance the yes. load, and also you know because right now if you were game planning for St. John's, you'd say to double Champagne every time, yeah, and, and make somebody else beat you, and and Greg is far uh, beyond good enough to beat other teams. Like, he, he's that talented. Troy, I, I've mentioned to you my theory, Kevin, I think I've mentioned to you that Greg's just too good of a teammate. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't want to take charge and, and take, you know, what would see as a selfish shot. He wants to make the right basketball play and, and wants to, you know, get his teammates involved, which is great. And and he's, at, he's a pretty good passer, too. Yeah. yeah. So, but I think, you know, Greg being a senior now, you want to see him take charge, be assertive in the offense, because yeah, as far as a backcourt, you know, I know Posh would obviously be included in that, but Greg and Champagne to me are both guards. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, probably rolling with the three, three or possibly even four guard lineup. Yeah. They, they, if if Greg takes that step up in in aggressiveness, yeah. They're as good as anybody in the conference. The o- the only thing that kind of concerns me, I guess, with Greg is it it feels like for, you know, obviously last year and I guess even two years ago we've been kind of saying like man if he if he can you know become that alpha if he can be a little bit more assertive you know he can really become you know an all big east level player and I don't know if that's ever going to come to a point where my argument to that would be and sorry to cut you off no go ahead yeah is that Greg doesn't need to be I I agree Mm mm-hmm yeah, he he. 
because you have Posh that's going to dominate the ball. If he could be a great catch-and-shoot guy, a great dribble penetrator, which he's shown he can do, the next step for him is doing it consistently. Mm-hmm. And for all we know, it could be a healthy offseason is, is what he needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With, 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 with Greg, too, it's, it's like being an alpha in you know, in your role, you know, I guess, I guess is a better right. way to put it. You know, if, if you have an open three, take it. Don't, like you said, mm-hmm. don't be such a good teammate and pass yeah. it off to someone else. You know, you know, take the open shots. I think that's what I, I would want to see more in my biggest criticism of, of, uh, of his game. But, um, so the underlying message is we need Greg Williams to stop being a good teammate. Yeah. That, that, yeah. <laughs> that is what we are telling Greg Williams. Like be a little, a yeah, teammate. be a little selfish from, from, uh, from time to time. Cause the talent is definitely there. Uh, we, we hit on Julian, we hit on Posh, you know, we just hit on Greg and Marcellus Erlington and Josh Roberts. Let's, uh, let's, you know, round it out here and let's talk about Dylan Adaiwusu real quick. Uh, I thought he was one of their most surprising players, I would say, you know, from, from the improvement, I think that he showed from game one to the end of the season, certainly had some, you know, freshman moments mixed in there for sure. But overall, I thought he was one of their most impressive players outside of Julian, I would say, in giving you production that you didn't see coming. But uh, Kevin, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree. I think I, I wasn't expecting much from him this year. Um, and I think what he showed is, I mean, he's an absolute bowling ball coming down the lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's definitely parts of his game where he has to improve, like his shooting and his ball handled passing. But that'll come with time. I mean, he, he was a, a key role player as, as a freshman um, on a really and a kind of a veteran almost um so i think there's definitely positives like that but um but yeah i, I think I, I don't know if i'd say the ceiling is the roof or whatever michael Jordan says for the roof it's a ceiling something like that i don't know whatever brendan said he's a new guy but i definitely think that there's something there in year two and i, I don't want to compare him to marcellus darlington but i'm gonna i'm going to because the, their body types are so similar i think um wusu is um a, a better athlete in terms of his lateral movement than yeah marcellus is mm-hmm. um but but you can see the similarities with their game and marcellus said earlier in the year that like he took Dylan under his wing and kind of showing him the ropes just because they are that same body type. Mm-hmm. So I think there's going to be a sizable jump for, for Dylan in year two. Um, and the biggest way to, to do that is to consistently get outside shots. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, Brendan, give your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think Wusu showed that he was not scared of the moment, yeah. which I, I think was big for freshmen, you know. A lot of late game situations that he was in, you know, he he was comfortable having the ball. Now the next step is making the right decisions. Yeah. there were definitely some some decision making lapses. But uh, I, I just hope in year two, every announcer stops saying that him and Posh Alexander were high school teammates. Mm. You know, because it got a little sick and tired of hearing that. Um, you know, we get it. It's, it's game twenty one. But uh, no, on a second, you'll get um, pin zone and. Uh, and Teresa. Oh, yes. Yep. Yep, they'll be the ones. Yep. Yeah. So they'll just get replaced. So, you know, sad, sad for that. But on a, on a much more serious note, I mean, I would like to see uh, – he's another one I would like to see become a better catch-and-shoot player. Mm-hmm. Kevin mentioned that earlier in the show, which which could definitely open up. I mean, he honestly – the area of of the game, that re, of his game, that really impressed me the most was his ability to beat his defender one-on-one on yeah. the dribble. Mm-hmm. Now, again, it's the same thing. He's got to make better decisions once he gets by. But, I mean, he's a freshman, and the way he uses that, that frame to seal off defenders and stuff, that could be really, really useful, and it's going to be tough for, for defenders to stop. The next step, really, honestly, and I can't say it enough, I've already said it twice, is the, is making the right decision once you beat your defender one mm-hmm. Definitely. Absolutely. And, and, I mean, he was their closer in a couple of games this season, you know, the Marquette game on the road. And then even the, uh, you know, the, the Butler game, um, I think he, he had the game winning layup before, obviously they gave up that lead down the stretch, but, um, you know, and they, they entrusted him in late game situations to inbound the ball. I, I wasn't a fan of that. Cause I feel like he was not great at that, but they, they entrusted him doing it every game. It felt like, so, um, definitely it's a lot to build on with him. Um, the guys who are, who are leaving now, I, 
guess we can just kind of talk about all of them as a whole. Rasheem Dunn, I, I would assume, is not coming back for his final year of eligibility, so he's gone. Um, Arnaldo Toro is uh, you know gone as well. Didn't really give you a whole lot this season. Um, and then Isaiah Moore and Vince Cole both both transfer. Um, the biggest loss for you guys is who I think you know both of the the transfers are going to be losses I don't know how big they are but uh Brendan who do you see as the biggest loss you know going into next year's team it's got to be done and and just you know he gave you a solid you know scoring output which is which is one thing but it, you know Zach Grazilla wrote the article about the Pope uh, in the New York Post about how you know part of the the turnaround was because Rasheed Dunn kind of took everybody under his wing and mm-hmm. said, you know, we got we got to right the ship. You know, I think a lot of Posh Alexander's you know success was because of uh, how good a basketball player he was, but Rasheed Dunn definitely had another large part in that. You know, showing him the ropes and 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 Dunn was a guy that you know you can you know obviously you know, question some of the shot selection and stuff like that, but you know left it all on the court every single time he stepped out there. And, you know, that's, I think, something that St. John's fans value, mm-hmm. uh, that, that the kid never quit. And, you know, a lot of times he was a, no, 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 don't take that shot, don't take, oh, okay, don't take that <laughs> shot. Like, you know, he's that guy, you know, sometimes question the decision-making late in the game. Yeah. But, you know, you could say that about a lot of different players, just but the leadership, the toughness, and, and the passion for St. John's, you know, and, and it was mutually... It was a mutual relationship because uh, you guys definitely remember all the Cleveland State stuff. St. John's fans were fighting for yeah. him because mm-hmm. there was a, you know, it was a questionable <laughs> denial of his of his waiver. So you know, just stuff. You know, I think, you know, I think Rasheem Dunn probably got treated unfairly at times and was the scapegoat for other things. But you know, I'll, I'll remember the leadership and, and the toughness he brought to the team. When I think of Rasheem done and and this is just a thought that I that I just had in, in you bringing him up there I think of like the NFL quarterback who's kind of the aging quarterback who has you know the rookie behind him and knows that the rookie is kind of the future and is the more talented guy and is eventually going to replace him but is still you know the good teammate who's going to you know take him under his wing you know you know not be the Aaron Rodgers basically you know you know take the guy under his wing be a good guy you know and, and teach him the ropes kind of that's kind of what Rasheem Dunn felt like this season with Posh where you know he could have you know said screw you posh you know I'm, I'm playing i'm 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 trying to take your minutes you know yada 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 i know that they weren't really competing for minutes but to me that's kind of what it felt like with uh with Rashim. but uh kevin you can go ahead with your uh biggest loss i i think i have to agree it's it's Rashim done um so, so now I, I guess i just have to talk like on the court loss um, yeah. and i guess say isaiah Moore just because he's a 611 body yeah uh, and I and um, it, it's interesting because you saw a lot of St. John's fans on Twitter saying uh, if they had Isaiah Moore in the loss, all they would have won, and what could have changed differently. But you didn't hear those complaints when they got down eighteen nothing against Hall <laughs> and he played three minutes, and they came back and, and won outscored Seton Hall by thirty. Yeah. Over- 28 minutes or, or, or something. So I, I guess I'd have to say more, um, just if I have to pick somebody other than Rasheem Dunn, mm-hmm. I would say more just just because on the basis of he's a 6-11 uh, body who showed the ability that he could step outside on the perimeter, although sometimes he did that. You're, you were scratching your head and you did it far too often if, if you're just <laughs> watching the flow of the game. Yeah. Um, and this is locker room stuff or character stuff aside just solely based on the court um if i had to pick someone other than Rashim dunn as the biggest loss it would have to be isaiah moore definitely uh brendan your thoughts on isaiah moore certainly an uh, enigmatic player yeah i mean when right after that one game you know i'll, I'll call it a break because they seem very <laughs> hesitant at the time to call it a suspension yeah so I, I don't want to use that word yeah but you know he really put it together and made it different you know and you know, you know, on SJUBB on Twitter and stuff would make fun of the screams and stuff, and it kind of became a joke and stuff. But that stuff energizes a team, right? Like if if you're down eight, and then all of a sudden Isaiah Moore pops up two or three dunks, you know, in four or five possessions, you know, that energizes a team. Yeah. And you know, similar body type, just thinking back to a guy like Tariq Owens, right? Like that, 
those type of guys that are high flyers above the rim, even OJ Figueroa, his first season in Queens, mm-hmm. those guys that fly high above the rim, they bring energy to a team, and there's always going to be a place for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, just the, the game we talked about earlier when uh, St. John's won at Providence, the reason they won that game in the second half was a lot of Raheem Dunn and Isaiah Moore. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, Isaiah Moore did some really good stuff on the court for this team. It's just when things got off the court, it got a little dicey, and that's probably why he's leaving St. John's, and we'll see where, he, where, where and if he goes somewhere next. Yeah, I think that's the only real criticism I would have. I mean, outside of you know, the three-point shooting or lack thereof with him is the off-the-court stuff. And, and, you know, I know it's kind of a touchy subject, I guess. You don't want to kill a, whatever he is, a 19-, 20-year-old kid for social media posts. But at the end of the day, like, that reflects on your program. And to have a guy like that around, I don't know if it's worth it for this staff. And I wonder if that played a role in it. I'm, I'm totally speculating here, but I, I wonder if – you know, this was sort of a mutual thing to, to for them letting him go. Obviously, we know he was, you know, suspended, quote unquote, for the one game. I wonder, like, how upset the staff really is with with losing more. You know, because it, it, you would think that they would have made more of an effort to keep a guy that talented around. You know. Yeah, but also it was kind of it was kind of two suspensions. The the yeah. game they won against Seton Hall definitely. Like, it wasn't a coincidence that he only played three minutes. Like that was. Like when when they got down eighteen nothing, like I, I I was there. Like he he said something, mm-hmm. uh, and there was some commotion on the bench, and Julian tried to like calm him down or whatever. But like Mike Anderson didn't put him back in. Um, uh, Brendan, you mentioned Zach. Zach asked after the game um, why he didn't go back in, and, and Mike Anderson he was hesitant to comment, and he just said coach's decision. Which I mean, you got to read between the lines there. Yeah. I mean, so, so it, it, it what there was issues with him, but I mean on the court, um, he did provide some from good stuff for this team. But um, and just yeah, you, you don't want to bash a kid for yeah. um, his, his social media posts. But um, just just one thing I'll say, um, and I I put it in an article um, when I wrote about him officially deciding to transfer. Um, he said he was trying to sell his St. John stuff, and that that put the question in my head I mean is he done with college basketball because mm-hmm. he if he does if I mean obviously they have to go through all like the uh, meet all the qualifications and not get investigated but um, I, I can't think of the word or uh, like w- completing waivers and transfers yeah. and all mm-hmm. I mean if, you, like, if he sold some of that stuff like that's NCAA <laughs> violation like he can't play yeah. anymore yep. so that's so that's why that's why I think um, it, it's big on like some of these kids. You're, you know, you have a lot of eyes on you. Like you have to be mature, especially in your social media posts, because the stuff stuff is going to get out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, that, that, that's just what I'll say on, on that topic. But all the best <laughs> to him going forward. I mean, I didn't have much interaction with him this year because everything was virtual and yeah. all that stuff. Um, but yeah, so I, I I can only go on what I see on social media. Mm-hmm. Brendan, you had something you want to say. No. Oh, you didn't. I thought, I thought you had your hand up, like you want, like we were in a classroom, like you wanted to say something there. I'm all good. <laughs> all right, um, let's move on. I mean, we we could talk, you know, the incoming guys if you guys want, but but you know, I th- I think we could do that another time. We could let's talk transfer market now. They're gonna have a couple of open scholarships. What do they have? Three open scholarships, I believe. Kevin, you would know better than I. That's a Kevin question. Yeah, you would know better than I. Question, I think it's two right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they were, they were, they were, yeah, it's two because they were, they were solid. They were at 13 and then Cole and Moore leaving makes it two. Okay. So, so two open scholarships. I would assume it's going to be transfers coming in. So, I mean, what do you guys want to want to target here the obvious one is the big man but uh brennan i'll let you you start on your thoughts with that so i a couple thoughts on this right like i'll give i'll give two popular names it's not going to be reinventing the wheel it's just you know yeah ob- obvious candidates and then you know the, the other thing i want to mention is the mold of kind of the player i think they should be going for because you know obviously you know you watch nate nate watson dominate st john's twice and even though you know, St. John's beat Providence. If you watch him dominate, you're like, why doesn't St. John's have a big guy like that? The back to the basket, bruiser, rim protector, stuff like that. But I did a little research, Troy. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> and I went back and looked at Mike Anderson's uh, two most successful teams when he made the Sweet 16 with UAB and the Elite Eight with.
Mm-hmm. If, I, I, if I have that backwards, I apologize, but I, I believe that's it. Okay. He had zero players that were taller than 6'9". And in total across the two rosters from those two teams, there was only three players in total that were 6'9". And of those three, only one of them was a double-digit scorer. And, you know, the obvious thing that I could think of is that St. John's and Mike Anderson's system up and down, up and down, up and down, 40 minutes of help, that's not conducive to a guy like yeah. Watson. You know, you just don't know how he would struggle with the conditioning, not to say that a, a big of that of that bodybuild couldn't do it, but you just never know how that's going to work out. So I think the compromise, and you don't know if Mike Anderson has changed his views on big guys if he knows he needs to adapt based on what's happened over his first two seasons in Big East. Mm-hmm. But, but nonetheless, I think a guy like Christian Bishop and that mold from Creighton would yeah. be the perfect big guy for St. John's that has a little bit of height. He, he's not big, but he's also he's willing to bang down low. He's great at setting screens. He's very comfortable handling the ball out on the perimeter. Can shoot a little bit but also makes those plays above the rim. You see him and Zegarowski hooking up for a lot of lob. So I just think of pl- not Christian Bishop, obviously, because you know, no reason to think he would transfer, yeah. um, especially within conference. Mm-hmm. But just just a player in that mold that's got a little bit of height, but also extremely mobile. But the two names that obviously are, are coming up are Trey Mitchell from, from UMass and Aiden Aegion. Ag- Ag- there you I go. I watched a video before on, on him saying his name, and, and I'm drawing a blank on it now, but I want to make sure I got it right. Uh, Igion uh, also, obviously, because St. John's was in his final list of schools before he made his decision, mm-hmm. and, and Mitchell is a Northeast guy. He's from Pittsburgh, so you just never know. You know, St. John's played him. Kevin and I did that game live in Mohegan's Sun. You know, so Mike Anderson has obviously scouted him and played against him, so you don't know what his thoughts are. But the thing is, right, is you honestly just never know because a couple of years ago, Chris Mullen brings in CDK there and you're like, this is the big guy that's finally going to do it. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't work out at all. Yeah. So you, you honestly just never know with transfers how it's going to fit. But I, I think that St. John should be looking, if you are if you have a big guy spectrum and Christian Bishop's at one end and Nate Watson's at the other, you should be looking more towards the Christian Bishop uh, end of the spectrum just because I think, I think that's what would... Uh, benefit St. John's in the system the most. Yeah, and that's that's absolutely a fair take. I don't I don't know how conducive to this system a, a back to the basket bruiser type player is. So I guess we'll see uh, where they go in the transfer market for that. But Kevin, I, I guess besides a big man, you know, what would you want to want to target in uh, in the grad transfer market? Um, so I mean, I guess I would go Tyson Walker, mm-hmm. uh, transfer from Northeastern. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on the CAA team last year is the defensive player of the year in the conference went to christ the king so his local guy um i i agree with brendan on uh aiden igion or however you say his name uh, i think that's a good fit from the area also i, I think that's where everyone's kind of looking to yeah. obviously injury concerns with him um i mean like trey mitchell's not gonna happen <laughs> walker kessler's not gonna happen walker kessler trey mitchell and iggy on or we riot yeah. uh, i mean like th- those two like i know i know everyone want like those two aren't gonna happen uh like i don't want to be like the bear of bad news but like like if it's not um like walker or iggy on like it's gonna be a guy from like UC Davis that you've never heard of before. <laughs> Twitter's gonna Twitter's gonna go up in flames. Yeah, mm-hmm. but but yeah, I, I think if you're looking to add a guard, um, I think Tyson Walker's a really good fit, um, just because he has the defensive root, roots. Um, he can score. Um, he's a decent three point shooter. I think he shot around thirty five percent last year for Northeastern. So um, we'll see. I mean, last I checked, I don't think Walker has trimmed his list, but I mean, he had a ton of yeah. reaching out. I know St. John's was is, was on the short list, the early short list for um, Al Durham from Indiana. Uh, again, I, I don't think that's going to happen either just because there were some big names on that list too. Um, so yeah, I, I think Eon um, and, and Walker might be a good start. Oh, there's only two spots, so I think those two would, would really fit the program well. And if they end up with those two, I think everyone would pack their bags and say it, it was a good offseason. Definitely. And and one more guy who is not even in the transfer portal, but I have officially given up any hope of him coming here is Justin Chan. Well, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I was gonna say Justin Champagne on Pitt, Julian's oh, yeah. brother, because I like I said, not in the transfer portal, but we know with everything going on with Pitt, we can always dream that they're gonna team up and play in St. John's. Uh Sunday night, I was bored on Twitter. Had happened to go into Julian Champagne's likes to see if I could find anything maybe about Justin coming here. Uh, about a week ago, a fan tweeted, Justin Champagne is not coming. Yeah, not coming to St. John's. Don't get your hopes up. No, I didn't. So, uh, yeah. Oh, that's who it was? I didn't know who it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he tweeted. Yeah. Me and Brandon know Dick Diamante. He went to St. John's. He was WSJU. Oh, uh, okay. Um, and he tweeted like SJUBB fans need to like realize Justin Champagne isn't coming to Queens or something like yeah. that. And Julian liked it. And Julian liked, liked it. it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's dead. The dream that's dead. That's not. Happening. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say that's. And my, my biggest thing on that is like coaches. Believe it or not, some fans don't don't want to uh, accept it. Like coaches know what they're doing. <laughs> and like St. John's and Pitt scheduling each other for next year in the Garden wasn't just one big coincidence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, like there was substance behind that. So, like, I have a pretty good feeling. Like, I have, I think both will enter their name into the into the draft, test the waters, and go back to their respective schools for one more year. So, so Kevin, what do you? What do you think that Gonzaga has not scheduled St. John's? <laughs> well, so I think in Gonzaga, I think, you know, so they'll be coming off a title. So I think they'll be trying to, like, play it a little low this year or next year. Yeah, but it's like, a, it's like a super team, though. So one of those three guys might want to say they can do it somewhere else. You, you just <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, if, if uh, Drew Timmy or Corey Kispert wants to go into the transfer portal, I think uh, St. Uh, I think St. John's will blend them right away. So hopefully. <laughs> B can flood their mentions and see if they can get him to come to St. John's. <laughs> we will see. Um, we're pushing up on an hour here, so so I'll, I'll end this uh, with asking you guys this question now. Today is March 22nd, 2021. Uh, March 22nd, 2022, what are we talking about with, with St. John's? Are we talking about another letdown? Are we talking about you know a, a team that's still playing in the NCAA tournament? Uh, Brendan, you can go first. What what be a little uh you know look into your crystal ball here and tell me what you see. We are talking about this team being a big man away from from uh. a real deep tournament. Run. <laughs> <laughs> a good a good season, but but just a big man away. Tournament? Are we going tournament, tournament. though? Okay. Tournament. Okay. Kevin, your thoughts? Yeah, I think I think assuming Julian comes back. That that has I think I'll preface it with this. Assuming he comes back, it would be a major disappointment if they don't make the tournament. Mm-hmm. I think you could I mean, aside from if he's back and, and aside from like he goes down with a season ending injury, knock on wood, God forbid. Mm-hmm. Um, unless something goes incredibly wrong on the injury front, if they don't make the tournament next year, I think it's a major disappointment. Um but yeah, I could def I can definitely see them safely in the field of sixty four, not in the first four. Um, now, if you tell me, uh, if, is it going to be looked at as a positive or a negative? If you look on the hashtag SJUBB, it tends to be a little negative. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, they could go to the Sweet 16 and people would be like, oh, what, what a bad season. Yeah. They, they, they blew a two-point halftime lead, lost by four, and they're not going to the Final <laughs> Four or Elite Eight. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. So, yeah, I, I think the, the assuming the core, the core stays intact, um, the bare minimum has to be the NCAA tournament. I, I think that has to be no questions asked. Yeah. yeah, with the way with the way this season went and those heightened expectations, they really overperformed mm-hmm. uh, from from what they you know obviously picked ninth, finished fourth in the Big East, so they they surprised even their own peers to to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, so now now it's just putting it together. Now you can't lose the stupid games anymore. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And and you know co- slip ups in the conference are going to happen. You know it's, yeah. it's not yeah. you're not expecting to only lose to Villanova twice. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> it it, just, it can't happen. It can't become a pattern. To you know, you just can't have those slip ups. That's the next step for this team. And you know, I think some of the the things that we talked about, you know, getting more shooters and stuff, will help help alleviate some of those those things. But since they overperformed, you know, the pressure's on for next year. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a good thing they were overperforming. You didn't want to sit through a, a lousy season mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. year. But, you know, when the coach's second year, you just never know what's going to happen. And they overperformed Anderson's first year, too, to a certain extent. Yeah. So, now you're, so now year three is the payoff. You had to wait till year four for Mullen's payoff, 
and that was a disappointment. So now can Anderson get it done in year three? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Also, I just I think there's going to be a lot of change this year um, in the Big East. I mean, you're already seeing it on the coaching front with Dave Lato and uh, Steve Wojciechowski getting fired. But I think in terms of like player movement, um, just with the new transfer rule. Um, the fifth-year senior options. I think this is going to be one of the more interesting seasons in the uh, offseason in the Big East. And um, I, I, Nate Watson already said he, he's coming back. I think you have to look at the biggest decision in the conference right now. It's going to come in Villanova with Colin Gillespie. I mean, especially coming off the injury. I mean, does he have an NBA future? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Would he want to come back and try it one more year? Because, I mean, yeah, Villanova, well, it, it's probably going to get the break speed off them next week against Baylor. But like now two years in a row, Colin Gillespie doesn't get a chance at the NCAA tournament. Like would he want to come back for another year? And uh, I think that's, that's going to be a big decision. Yeah. He'll be back. I, I can almost guarantee that he will be back um, next year. And I, and I will say this, uh, going into a season with expectations is always a little bit scary for, for St. John. So, you know, we, we hope that they can actually live up to them uh, next year, but uh, boys, I want to thank you both for for doing this, man. You know, we we did a full hour here. It's like we did a whole radio show or something. You know, I really appreciate. It. I think we touched on almost everything that there was to touch on. Um, you know, with St. John's, but thank you both, um, Kevin. Why don't you first tell everyone, you know, where they can find you and and uh, and all of your work. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Kevin Connolly twenty four. Um, you can also find me at Storm the Paint, which is what covers St. John's and Ball Durham, which covers uh, Duke. And then uh, if you want to find me, uh, wanna, if you like the sound of my voice, you can hear me at uh, on D1 Media Pro on the uh, NFHS network, at the, the uh, National Federation of High School Sports. So if you want to look at some St. John's recruits, potential recruits from the area, uh, tune in. We, we go basketball all year round. We, do, uh, we just did a uh, showcase event with some underclassmen and maybe we'll do some AAU in the summer so if you want to look at some potential St. John's targets hey follow me there we go that's the way to tie it in there and Brendan where can they find you yeah I'm at B underscore Myers M-Y-E-R-S 42 I have a much different Twitter account than Kevin does uh, I, I move more in silence you know it's, it's a, you know don't, don't tweet too much. I wrote one article for Kevin Storm the Paint. It was the greatest article in the history of that website, and I retired. Retired while I was out on top. So, you know, Kevin runs a great site over there. Highly Definitely. recommend Definitely. checking out Storm the Paint. I agree. Absolutely check that out, boys. Uh, enjoy your off-seasons. Hopefully we can uh, do this again at some point soon. Hopefully I'll be talking to each of you uh, I at some point. I don't want to talk to Kevin this long, any, ever. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> right, you got, so you... Next year uh, we'll do a live uh, a live uh, radio show or a live podcast show from the Dunkin' Donut Center with so everyone can see Brendan <laughs> in his uh, Providence gear. Yeah, so... <laughs> Kevin has been spewing these rumors about me on social media, and I would like to announce that I am waging a lawsuit against him for slander or libel. Probably both. <laughs> there we go. And my light no just further, went out in no here, so no further privacy. <laughs> my light just went out in this room, so I think that's a sign that we got to wrap this up, boys. <laughs> yes, sir. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the rest of your nights, and uh, we will we will definitely talk soon. All right. All right, have a good one, guys. <laughs> All right, thank you one more time to Brendan Myers and Kevin Connolly for coming on and discussing the Red Storm's 2020-2021 season and looking ahead to the offseason as well. Both guys do a great job on this show and do a great job covering the Red Storm. Um, as terms of this show and this podcast now, like I said uh, last week, we won't be doing you know the weekly episodes anymore. Uh, whenever news does come out, though, you know regarding transfers or guys you know leaving or coming into the program, I will definitely have either a podcast or a live reaction on Twitter out. So definitely be on the lookout for that. Um, but otherwise, you know, won't have as frequent podcasts during the off season. I am always looking for interviews to do with notable St. John's alumni and they don't even have to be basketball related you know so if you have any um, you know alumni or people related to the program that you want to hear from definitely send them my way and I will try to get uh, in contact with them we didn't really do as much of that last offseason but I would love to do that this offseason get a couple of, uh, of uh, named people on the show and you know hopefully talk to some people within the program um, I'd love to talk to 
Mike Craig again. So we'll see if we can set that up like we did last year. And who knows, maybe we can even get uh, Coach Anderson himself on this show. Although I don't think that's likely, but we'll uh, we'll see. We can dream, and we'll uh, we will definitely see about that. But. In terms of this show, thank you everyone for listening, for sticking around for the full hours, our longest show ever, I believe. And uh, thank you once again to Kevin and Brendan for coming on. And until next time, let's go Johnnies.